Would you go with me to Philippians, the third chapter, and I'll be sharing a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, Pastor Ron is always teasing me as to why I stick with the King James Version, and uh, there is a reason. When I started in ministry 33 years ago, I only had two mentors. My first mentor was my dad, and my dad has probably committed thousands of Scriptures to memory, has an earned doctorate, did not call himself Dr. Davis, but he is a doctor. And uh, today, he spends four to six hours a day studying the Word of God. Retired, has a garden, but loves the Word of God, is always digging things out. My second mentor was Marcus Lamb, who um, early in ministry came into my life and was so uh, uh, impressed by the anointing of the Word. He would quote 100, 200 scriptures per sermon. And uh, last week, we went to see him at Dr. Lowry's. I counted over 100 scriptures he committed from memory, and uh, he made the, the statement that God told him that we might not always be anointed, but the word's always anointed. It will not return void. It will prosper the thing that it has accomplished. So unfortunately or fortunately or what the case may be, I've committed almost 3,000 scriptures in the King James verbiage, and I'm not going to change. I'm sorry. I'm not going to the phone that has Surrey, and I'm, there's just some things I'm not, I'm not going to submit to. I'm going to stay old-fashioned. I'm going to stay in the King James. Uh, however, next session, I'm going to do a message just in the message and the Living Bible, just for those of you that just like that kind of translation, just for your next, next session, all my scripture will be from the Living Bible. I would like this morning not to be your pastor. I would like for the next two sessions, I would like to be your life coach. I would like to speak things into your life today that I believe will make a difference. When I think of a coach, I think of athletes, and I think particularly of basketball, and I think of athletes that have perfected the three-point shot, or they perfected the break, or the, the layup. But what a coach does is focus on the athlete's weakness. If he's weak, left-handed dribbling, he will work on that. And I'm not saying today there's any weaknesses among you, but I want to share some things that have blessed me through the years, and I believe they will bless you. Practice does not make perfect. You've heard me tell the story several years ago I was teasing about my golf game, which was very bad. I had a hook from hell, and it really was a hook from hell. It, it was scary with the ball. I would aim towards one um, a hole, in the, and I'd end up three uh, fairways over. And uh, we had a golf pro in our congregation. He took me out, let me hit a bucket of balls, and after I'd hit about 1,500 balls, he says, Pastor, you have perfected your mistakes. You do it wrong every time. And I learned that practice does not make perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect. So this morning, if you want to take some notes, you want to write some things down, I'm going to try to stay close to my notes today because I believe today is a God-ordained word. I didn't get it out of a book, and there's great books. I didn't get it from another preacher, and there's great preachers. But I believe that God gave this to me for you, knowing who would be here today and knowing who needed to hear this particular word. Philippians 3 and 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, look at someone and say, I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things which are before, I press towards the mark, the prize, the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. Incredible words from the Apostle Paul. Although he has written about two-thirds of the New Testament, he has visited heaven, he's been left for dead, he has quite a resume, quite a testimony, but he's telling us that he hasn't yet arrived to the place that God wants him to be. In other words, he's telling us that he's still learning. I believe this morning, and I'll share a little later why, but I believe that every Paul needs a Timothy. I believe every Timothy needs a Paul. I believe every Paul needs a Silas. I believe that we need accountability. I believe that we need people that we submit to in eldership. As Pastor Ron have three elders that we submit to and we have submitted and will continue to submit with their, their counsel and encouragement. There's safety in the multitude of counsel. And there's safety when you surround yourself with people, been there, done that, should have bought the T-shirt. Hello. Can anybody relate? Uh, I saw a T-shirt. I, I believe it was in Gatlinburg. It said, live your life in such a way that your pastor doesn't have to lie at your funeral. I so much wish that I'd have produced that T-shirt. And then Pastor Ronald was so kind this morning to put, or yesterday, to put a book out for me to read. And most of you know that for the past 31 years of ministry, my statement, my mission statement, or my dream, or my purpose has been 
I want to be all God wants me to be. I'm, I, I, everything I own belongs to God. And I, I want you, she handed me a book that says, Everything You Want to Be, I believe, by Max Licato, Licato, uh, Tomato, Tomato, whatever you say his name. And I said, wow, that's my, that's my whole thought. That's my thing, being everything that God wants me to be. Look at somebody and say, God doesn't make junk. He went to a great deal of trouble to make you. And you are the only you he'll ever make. The Apostle Paul had a challenge. As today, we have challenges. And his challenge was that before he was converted on the road to Damascus and name changed to Paul, he was a murderer legally, much like an abortionist. He had a license to kill, and it was his purpose, his plan, his goal to assassinate as many Christians as possible. And on his road, the, the underground police had told him of an address where there were several Christians having church secretly on the road to destroy those Christians. He is confronted by God, a bright light. He becomes blind. God audibly speaks to him. Paul speaks back. Paul goes and sequesters himself, and there a man is sent to minister to him. Many Bible scholars disagree, but some say he took the next three to nine years to study the words of Christ before he began his journey. We're not sure how long that he studied, but here he's telling us he's still learning to receive counsel and instruction. There's something about the past that if we don't address, if we don't, if we don't confront head on, it has the ability to always affect us. As the Apostle Paul was ministering in many synagogues, the word of God, I wonder how many times, Donnie, that a young man or young lady would come to him after his teaching and say, you don't know me. But several years ago, you came to my house with a band of soldiers, and you took my mother and my father off and assassinated them. But I forgive you because I've read the words of your teaching that says love believes the best. How, how would you like to be in that scenario that you're the guy that you've done all this junk, you've done all the hurt, you've done all the harm, and no matter what you try to do, you can never make it right? And that's why the Apostle Paul said, I have to forget the mistakes of yesterday. I have to forget the, the failures of yesterday, and some of us need to forget the successes of yesterday, because sometimes we're so overwhelmed by how it used to be, how good it used to be, and now we're struggling. Anybody struggling? And now we're, it's like when, when Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, we realize he meant it, and every day you're, you're providing family, food for your family, and you're, you're trying to satisfy all the challenges that are upon you. So Apostle Paul said, realize before you can be what God wants you to be, you've got to address your diary. You've got to address the events of yesterday. And I want to tell you this morning that forgive and forget our kissing cousins. Once you forget the things of the past, doesn't mean you lose your ability to remember, but it gives you the ability that when you remember that, you realize that you grew from that. You learned something from that. You, have a, you passed the test. You have a testimony that now you can share with others. I love the words of God in Isaiah 43 and 18. He says, remember you not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I shall do a new thing. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and a river in the desert. What a statement. We sang that song as little children growing up. My God can do anything, anything. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. My God has done just what he said. But I've realized there are some things that God cannot do because he chooses not to do them. And I'm here to tell you today that God chooses not to remember the failures, the sins, the mistakes of yesterday. When he looks upon us, when we go to him in prayer or he's watching over us, God does not see us as an ex-drug addict or an ex-Satanist or an ex-whatever. He does not see that. He knows there's a new name written down in glory, and it's your name, and he loves you. He sent his son to die for you. How cool is that? In verse 25 of that chapter, he said, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy sins and will remember thy sins no more. So here God is telling us, I will not remember your failures. I separated them, David said, as far as the east is from the west, let me tell you something, that is a long way. Can anybody relate? When you look at space, the universes, and realize how vast, how deep the universes are, he has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's thrown them all to the sea of forgiveness, and he hangs a sign there that says no fishing. 
And so when you try to beat yourself up over the things you failed to do or you did incorrectly, God's saying, no, you don't have permission to go there anymore. It's under the blood. I blotted it out. And if I blotted it out, that means that you need to blot it out. Of course, we ask the question, well, how, how does God do that? How does God forgive all the hurts, all the mistakes, all the failures of yesterday? I remember in John 1 and 29, when John saw his cousin, John baptized his cousin, a voice comes from heaven, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove ascends upon his cousin. And when John sees his cousin walking down the road, he makes a statement, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. We talked a lot a couple of weeks ago about the curse of the law. The curse of the law was this. If you failed, and you always did, if you made a mistake, and you would, if you committed a sin, and it, and it happened, you're required to go to the place of purchase, and there, according to your financial ability, you were to purchase a sacrifice. If you were not wealthy, a grain offering, a turtle dove, a pigeon, if you were moderately, um, had, had some means, your, your sacrifice would have been a lamb. And when you went to the place to purchase that lamb, it was a lamb without spot or without blemish. It was a, a lamb that was, that was bred pure, healthy, whole, a lamb. And you took that lamb to the high priest. And when you took that lamb to the high priest, the high priest never asked you who you were, didn't ask if you were a member of the Baptist church, didn't ask you if you liked Jimmy Swaggart, didn't ask you if you supported Christian television. The high priest never looked at you. He knew why you were there. The law said if you sinned, you brought a lamb. You were there because you had sinned. So the high priest did not examine you. He examined the lamb. And if the lamb was worthy, if the lamb was without spot, without blemish, and the high priest carried the lamb over to the altar, cut his throat, and the moment that blood hit the altar, you were forgiven. Regardless of whether you'd done that for the first time or for the thousandth time, your sins were forgiven. May I tell you today that when we go to God, God does not ask us, did you pay your tithe? God's not going to ask us, did you read your Bible? God's not going to ask us, did you work in a food pantry or a clothes closet? No, God's going to ask us, on whose authority do we stand in his presence? By what name do we come into his, into his holy of holies? And you know what we say? We say, God, behold the lamb. And if the lamb is worthy, if the lamb without spot, without blemish, and if that blood was shed at Calvary, then we are forgiven. Aren't you glad today that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains? I don't know how he takes the purple heart of a sinner, washes it with the red blood of a Savior, and gives us the whiteness of a saint. I don't know how he does it, but I like that formula. I like the fact that I'm no longer a loser. I'm no longer a drug addict. I'm no longer alcoholic. I'm no longer broke. I'm no longer divorced, but I am a new creature in Christ. Oh, somebody ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. Galatians 3 and 13 says that now we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. No longer do we purchase a lamb or a turtle dove, but we go into God's presence by the name of Jesus. First Peter 1 and 18, for as much as you know, you don't redeem the crumpled things of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. In Revelation 5, 9, it says, they sang a new song. I believe the guys has it up here that says that we have been redeemed by the blood of a lamb. But what does redemption mean? Now, most of you this morning, maybe some listening by podcast, maybe some watching by, by DVD might remember blue chip stamps. Does anybody in the, in the sanctuary remember blue chip stamps? Is there one? Is there two? Oh, there are four. Well, let me tell you, several, several years ago when I was a child, when you would go to the grocery store and you purchased groceries, they gave you stamps. They gave you pages of stamps and they provided books. And you would fill that book with your stamp. Every time you bought groceries, you got stamps. And then you would take that, that book of stamps when you had like three or four, and you would go to a blue chip redemption center, and you would take those stamps, and you would turn them in, and then you would get a nice gift, depending upon how many stamps you had collected, depending upon the, the, the value of the gift that you got. And I remember as a kid looking through the book, and it was like everything I wanted, you had to have like 100 books of stamps. So I never really got the thing that I wanted, but they're things that we got. And that's what the word is, says, that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And aren't you glad this morning that you have been redeemed? If you look at Psalms 137, the first few verses, 
By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat, and we, we wept when we remembered Zion. And there they carried us away captive, required us a song, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The psalmist says they took their harps and they hung it in the willow tree. The willow tree is the only tree of nature that doesn't do what it's supposed to do. All of the trees, their branches go up and praise towards God. The Bible says the trees of his planting, but the willow tree does not. The willow tree droops. It's a very depressing tree. It's kind of related to sad things, to sad moments. And here they are by a foreign river, hanging the music in the, in the trees. They've lost their song. But in the last verse of this chapter, they come up with a revelation. If you'll notice what that revelation is. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the rocks. Now, how many got happy? How many of a pastor, what in the world does that mean? The Israelis realize that babies don't stay little. The Israelis realize that babies grow up to be monsters. And the children of the Babylonians was a generation that had purposed in their heart to wipe out the lineage of God. Being warned by Isaiah, went to Hezekiah and told him what was about to take place instead of repenting as he did to regain his life. Isaiah ignored the warning of God, ignored the warning of the prophet. And sure enough, Israel was trashed. All the exiles were taken to Babylon. That's where we get the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. And we find the Israelis from journey to Israel to, to, to Babylon. They've lost their hope. They've lost their song. That they, are, they are a trashed people. But then they come up with the revelation. And the revelation said, if there is a way that we can destroy the babies of our enemies, then that generation will not be raised up to destroy us. I believe there are seasons in our life that we need to look at some of the little things, realizing that little things have the ability to grow up and bite you. Never intended to be a drug addict. Never intended to get high. Grew up in church, loved it. But I remember a door opened, and because of peer pressure, I found myself smoking. I wasn't addicted to cigarettes. I thought the Marlboro man was so cool. I loved the horse. I loved the valley. I loved the sun. I loved his jacket. I loved everything about, I thought that was, I thought the Marlboro man was so cool. And because he was cool, because I was, because of television, the power of television, because of television, I thought Winston tastes good as a cigarette should. I knew you could take the country out of Salem, but you couldn't take the, the Salem out of the country. And the, the, the Territon, I'd rather fight than switch. We were, we were engrossed with those commercials, Younger Life, and they've, of course, removed all those because cigarette smoking will hurt harm, and wound. But as a child, I was, I was influenced by those things, never knowing that the addiction of tobacco would go to, a, to, a, to addiction of marijuana. Addiction of marijuana would bring on the alcohol. The alcohol would bring on the speed, the cocaine. I never intended, but I allowed, watch this, a little thing to get my life that I refused to take authority of. And I mentioned you two weeks ago, I've helped hundreds of drug addicts get clean and healthy and whole and 90% of them tell me their first addiction was tobacco. And I've watched drug addicts give up everything, but at the end of, of their journey, they're still struggling with cigarettes. It's a hook in your jaw, a little hook the enemy puts there to try to constantly degrade you, frustrate you, and burn you out. Can anybody relate to what Pastor is saying today? Cigarette smoking will not send you to hell, but it'll make you smell like you've been there. Hello, just a thought. The... Uh, the purpose and plan of the little things, and I just, just uh, yesterday had, had something very interesting happen. Actually, the day before had something interesting happen to me. My boots did not make it to the Suburban, so I went out in the woods with tennis shoes and, and did what I was supposed to do. Had a great day yesterday, but then last, last evening, I started feeling really weird. And all of a sudden, in several different areas, mostly below the knees and a couple places on the hand, I started itching, and I started scratching, and lo and behold, I realized I got attacked by chigger. You can't even see a chigger. It's so small, you can't see it, but when it attaches itself to you, you certainly know it's there. And when I look at the little things, I realize the baby rattlesnakes can bite. I look at the nants, I look at the mosquitoes, I look at the ticks. Did you know that last year, there were 11 people in Arkansas that died because of a bite from a mosquito? And so a lot of us are trying to take care of the big things in life, 
not realize the little things that we do daily or hourly, those little things can either shape us, hurt us, or harm us. Do I have a friend in the building? In Psalm 126, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to let the guys bring it up on the screen. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Is that what it says? And the next verse says what? There you have it. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. When did this happen? When the Lord turned their captivity. I preached a sermon one time entitled 17 and handcuffed to the devil. Don't let anything handcuff you to the enemy. Don't let anything keep you bound. When the power of God came upon Samson, he broke those cords. He broke those ropes. Let the anointing that we talked about two weeks ago, let that anointing be dominant in your life and take authority over the little things. The next verse. Then was our mouth, watch this, filled with laughter, and our tongues was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Look at somebody and say, I was in a gutter, and everything was all messed up. Drugs couldn't help. Alcohol couldn't help. Sex couldn't help. But God came to where I was, picked me up. Go ahead, picked me up out of the gutter, set me on a rock, put a new song in my mouth, called me his own. And since that day, life has been blessed. There are still storms. There are still challenges. There are still little things. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh, somebody give it up for the Lord in this house. When Paul said, I press towards the mark, I have, I have never, ever spent any time whatsoever watching rugby, ever. That, just, that was just something I never did. When it came up on the TV, I always, I always turned it off, probably because they didn't have cheerleaders. That's probably why I never watched rugby. But one of our precious, precious spiritual sons is at Lee now, and he's playing rugby. And I saw on Facebook, he's playing rugby. And so I, and so a couple of days ago, the TV was on rugby, and I actually watched the game. I watched the game for about 20 minutes, and the more I watched it, the more I got confused because they kept passing backwards. They kept going backwards. But when they would face off, the whole team would all get together as one unit, and then they would, they would press, they would push. And I wonder if that's, what, if, if that's the attitude that Paul's saying that we have to have. We have to press towards the mark of the prize of Christ Jesus. And the way to press towards the mark is to know that somewhere in your spirit, you have a dream. And if you've lost your dream, it's probably time to get your dream, to find your dream, to get your dream back. Am I helping anybody in the building? As a child, and you got to understand, he was a spoiled brat. His dad spoiled him. Shouldn't have, but did. As a child, Joseph has two dreams, and both of those dreams let him know as a teenager he was marked for greatness. Those dreams so influenced his life. Those dreams so affected him that when he was sold as a slave, he did not curse his brothers. When he went to Potiphar's house, he was accused of something he didn't do. He didn't curse Potiphar. When he went to prison, he answered the dreams of the butler and the baker. Why? Because he knew that he was born for a higher purpose. He knew that there was something in his life that was great, and he knew that God put it in his heart as a young man, and he was going to stay faithful and consistent. I don't know that I could have done that. I don't know that that dream as a child, when I was very young in life, I felt the call of God on my life, and always, I always was around the things of God, as Pastor Rhonda mentioned. We went to church four times a week. I didn't grow up on a pew. I grew up under a pew, and I chewed the gum on the bottom of the pew. That's how, that's how far back I go. I can never remember not going to church. I can't ever not remember going to church. I can remember the day my brother was born. He was th- I was three. I actually remember that. I remember four, five, six, all the way through, all the way through church. My dad was a uh, scriptorian. He would memorize several scriptures a week. And I remember as a child riding in the car, you couldn't help. The more he said it, the more you, 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 would, you would learn the word of God. And when I was five, he set me on the altar, and I could quote all the books of the Bible. I know that's kind of scary. At the age of seven, I could quote the first chapter of Genesis. I, I can't quote the entire chapter now, but at the age of seven, I, could, I know that sounds like that's scary. But that's what I grew up on. That, that's, that, that was the life that I lived, and I loved that life. I loved the church. I loved the music. I loved the things of God. Sin was simply a distraction. Sin was simply an interruption. 
But thank God that he watched over me and took care of me, didn't let me do something stupid, didn't let anybody take me out, broke into a house, stole several grams of cocaine, should have been shot, should have went to jail, should have went to prison, did not. Twice was pulled over under the influence with marijuana in the vehicle. They found enough. Uh, he, he, was picking, he was picking seeds out of my carpet. And he said, if I find enough to make a joint, you're going to jail. He got on his back and he looked up underneath my dash. And I had an ounce of Maui Wowie stashed. And, and I could actually see the plastic of the baggie. And for some reason, God hid that from him. because God didn't want me having a prison ministry. God didn't want me to have felonies on my record. God spared me from all of that. You think I'd have repented and not did, done drugs again? No. Then I got even deeper. But you know what? He was always watching over me. And I love the song that says he was there all the time waiting patiently in line. He, he allowed my priorities to, to sequester him. And he went to where I was and he picked me up where I was at and he changed my life and gave me a new hope, new direction, but he gave me back a dream. How many of this house realize I think that I have lost my dream? You don't have to lift your hands, that's fine. We are going to get some, some points that if, if you would like, you can write down. In order... To change your future, or you can pay $20 for the CD either way. You can write them down or, or, or pay $20. I'd rather you pay $20 for the CD. That'd be a blessing. In order to change your future, you have to digest your past. I will not get technical this morning concerning the digestive system. I've struggled with the bad colon for 35 years. I can tell you all about the digestive system. I have every test known to man. I was a guinea pig at, at uh, Los Angeles, what was it, UCLA. I was there three weeks. I was a guinea pig at City of Faith. City of Faith just cut me sideways just to look around to see what was going on. I can tell you all about the digestive system, but I will not. But I have learned that there are things that you digest that passes through your body that is good for nothing except fertilizer. Hello. You've got to digest your past, and you've got to stop letting it hurt you and harm you, but you let it be a life lesson to others that you might be able to prevent them from walking on the road you walked on. Am I helping anybody in the building? I know this generation is a generation that, that is looking for the real deal. This is a generation uh, from, from Kings where when, when Elijah confronted the 450 prophets of Baal, they couldn't get their God to respond, so they started cutting themselves. This is a generation of cutters. Our kids are frustrated. Our kids are looking for the real deal, but everything they see is hypocrisy. They see hypocrisy in Britney Spears. They see hypocrisy in Miley Cyrus. They see hypocrisy in the music, obviously in politics, all kinds of hypocrisy. They're looking for the real deal. But what they're looking for is not going to come in a bottle, a needle, a joint, or a drug. What they're looking for is going to come in a personal relationship from a kid that was wrapped in swaddling clothes, that lived a sinless life, died a horrible death, had a glorious resurrection, and has promised to come back for those that are watching and waiting for him. That's got to be a purpose. That's got to be a destiny. That's got to be some kind of directions in our life. As you begin to digest your past, you realize your past has lost its ability to hurt you. Jesus said, I give you power over serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. And there's so many times I would like to redirect that and say, sometimes things will hurt you. But he knows how broad your shoulders are. He knows how strong you are. He knows what you're made of. He knows what you can and you cannot endure. I was preaching in Savannah, Georgia. I was so looking forward to it. One of the greatest churches in that denomination, Keith Dudley, was with me. We had a glorious, incredible Sunday morning, Sunday night. Sun, Sunday night was one of those services, just phenomenal move of God. But early that, that, that Monday, I got so sick, I could not preach Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. They put me in the hospital there in Savannah, stayed there a week, and then they got me to City of Faith in Tulsa. And I remember talking to Keith, and I said, Keith, I said, I believe God has put more on me than I can handle. Has anybody ever felt that way? I really feel like that God has put more on me than I can handle. And you know what? That, that journey did not end there. That journey went to several other hospitals, several other surgeries, several other 
uh, uh, years, years before God healed me and set me free. But God knew what I was made of. God knew I was more resilient than I thought I was resilient. Am I helping anybody in the building? You're tougher than you think. And I'm at the place now where if anybody were to bring up my past or your past, you know what I tell them? You might want to write this down. That was then, this is now. That was then, this is now. I like the song that says, don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. And since I found the church and found a place to pray, there's been a change in me. I found a better way. I don't sing Aerosmith's song anymore, same old song and dance, but there's a new name written down in glory. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are becoming new. A better translation is that when you come to Christ, you're a new creature, and you're in the process of becoming better. Let me share two illustrations with you, if I may. And I have dedicated a lot of time to the making of a pearl. I did a series several years ago that was six hours long on the pearl. But let me tell you about a pearl. God prophesied to Abraham that his seed would be as the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. Look at somebody and say, all you are is a little grain of sand. That's all you are. And as the tides of the ocean roar and pick up those grains of sand, some of those grains of sand find themselves lodged in an oyster. And when that oyster realizes that foreign piece is in its mouth, for we are strangers and pilgrims, this world is not our home, but we are looking for a better country that is the heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed, he's not ashamed to be called their God. That's what we are. We don't belong here. We don't, we don't fit in. We, don't, we, we are obviously supposed to be set apart, not, not, not set apart in pride, but set apart as in we've heard what God has for our life and we want to share it. that help anybody? So that oyster does everything it can to get rid of that grain of sand. And what it does, it regurgitates trying to, I don't know if you've ever met anybody that, that was suffering from bulimia or anorexia, but they would force themselves to regurgitate. That's what the oyster would do. It would regurgitate trying to get that grain of sand out of its belly. But every time it regurgitated, like putting a, a coat of shellac on a, on a deck or a piece of furniture, every time it regurgitated, that grain of sand would receive a covering, and then another covering, and then another covering. Every battle that you go through, every scar you produce is not a symbol of defeat, but it's a symbol of a battle you won. Dead things don't produce scars. Dead things produce decay. But the scars that I have are battles that I, I survived. I may not felt like I was a winner, but I'm still here. Is anybody in, in the building get a witness there? And years and years and years, it takes years for that little grain of sand to become a beautiful pearl. And why I love it, when they open up the pearl and they see the, open up the oyster and see the pearl, they always say, aloha. Alo means in the presence of, ha means life giver. And so when you open up that oyster and reveal that pearl, it's saying, in the presence of the life giver. God did that. Just as God put you in your mother's womb as a grain of sand, just as God allowed you to be born, allowed you to pursue, allowed you to do things, to go through things, to go through stuff so that you would have a testimony so your life could be his hand extended to somebody that needs him more than you. Somebody in the house, help me just for a moment. Another highlight you might, you might want to write down. Take responsibility for your actions. Taylor, like you, I didn't have bad parents to blame. I didn't come from a divorced family. I didn't come from drinking parents. I came from a leave-it-to-beaver family. I can't blame my childhood for my drug addiction. I can't, I can't blame how I was raised or where I was raised. I was raised in a healthy place. A lot of great things happened in my life. Great, great things, wonderful things. Had parents that cared. Had a little brother that I beat up on until he became a senior in high school, and he, he grew about eight inches, 80 pounds, and I began to negotiate. But from day one, we have a tendency to blame somebody or something else 
for why we're there. And we learned it from Adam. When Adam was confronted with instruction God gave him before Eve was made, Eve wasn't even there when God said, of every tree you could eat but this one. It was Adam's responsibility to nurture her, to train her, to teach her. He dropped the ball. She ate the fruit. They got confronted. Adam immediately blamed Eve, this woman that you gave me. Then Eve blames the snake. The snake couldn't hardly blame anybody because he came up with the idea. So he took the rat for it, been crawling on his belly ever since. Hello. It's time to realize whatever happened, happened. Own it. Deal with it. Is that my phone? Who is it? It's okay. Is it for me? Oh, it's Melissa. Okay, tell Melissa. Go ahead and answer it. So I said hello. I want to see her here next Sunday. Oh, you just hung up with her. What kind of parent are you hanging up on your child? My look. I think I just saw a chigger. Hold on. Stop walking in the blame game. Take responsibility for your actions and decide. Are you ready for this? It's important. Be addicted to the right thing. Only one time is the word addicted found in the Bible. And I believe Angel has it for you. I think it's in 1 Corinthians. Angel, that sound right? No, that's life and death and the power of the tongue. Skip that one. We'll, we'll come back to that next week. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Paul is bragging on Priscilla and Aquina and said, they are addicted to the gospel. What, what, a, what a testimony. What an epitaph to put that on your headstone. They were addicted to the gospel. It's scary what you can learn learning the gospel. I believe the answer to every question you have is in the Bible. I think how to set up a business, how to set up a marriage, how to run a family, how to get along with your peers, I believe, is in the Bible. From her tes personal testimony, a born-again Christian, there was a young lady several years ago by the name of Marie. Marie did not come from a wealthy family, did not look like she was going to have the ability to go to college. Marie got a job, worked in a restaurant. One afternoon, there was some kind of challenge with the dessert the next day. The dessert guy or girl, whoever it was, brings all the pies and cakes for the restaurant. There was a snag. And so the owner of the restaurant asked Marie if she would to go home and make a pie. Marie went home after work, made a pie, brought it to work the next day. The pie was so good, the owner that night asked her to make two pies. Marie went home that night and made two pies. Most of you know where I'm going with this. Marie Callender hired all of her relatives, all of her family. They all worked for her, and I Googled it. I may get it wrong, but I believe they just sold the business for $47 million dollars. A young lady that decided to take responsibility, a young lady decided to get focused, to get planted, to make something happen in her life. And you don't have to be a young girl to start and do what God wants you to do. I'm reminded of a guy, 67 years of age, took his first retirement check and made a batch of home fried chicken. And as you begin to realize where we're going with that, Colonel Sanders is, 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 is probably in every single city in the nation. He's on the island of Haiti. I saw Colonel Sanders in Japan, several in Hawaii. One guy took what he had, made a, made a difference in the lives of others, hired thousands of employees, and they're still cooking chicken today. And I hope you're not getting hungry as I am. Addicted to the gospel. And when you get addicted to the gospel you will find that you will change your ways. If you start doing what the Word of God says, or jo God told Joshua, this is not on your, your note, Joshua 1 and 8, this book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is according that was written therein. Watch this, Taylor. 
then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Right, this right here, this can teach you how to do that. Alexander the Great conquered the world. Alexander the Great was a great military strategist. Alexander the Great was a warrior. He was a great leader. After every battle, any officer or any infantryman that fled their post, they would bring them to a council, and usually they would assassinate them. One particular battle, they brought those that had fled their post, and for some reason, Alexander the Great came and set in on the hearing. They called a young man forward. He'd fled in the time of battle, terrified, ran, left his post, caused several deaths. But there was something about the young man's demeanor that got the attention of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great interrupted the, the parley and asked the young man, what's your name? The young man very ashamedly tucked his head and said, Alexander. Alexander looked at the young man and said these words, Son, change your ways or change your name. Change your ways or change your name. We have been called the trees of his planting. We are the apple of his eye. We are all that he says that we are, and that's quite a statement to live up to. But God would have never called you that if he hadn't seen it in your DNA. God will never ask you to do something that you cannot do. God will never motivate you to do something that he will not finance. Look at somebody and say, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. He will bring it to pass. I was talking with Pastor Todd this week. I said, if you could do anything you wanted to do in life, what would you do? And he said, I'd, I'd like to go to the First Baptist Church. No, he's kidding. We begin to talk about the mission field. We begin to talk about doors that could be opened, things that are happening in the future that absolutely, sometimes, sometimes the, the bigger you dream, the harder it is for God to fulfill the finances. But let me tell you something. God's not broke, and he's not on Obamacare. He's not going to cut your hours. Hello? He's not going to frustrate you. He's going to finance the purpose and the destiny that you have in your heart and your spirit. So some of you, I didn't write this down. You just need to go for it. I would write this down. Learn how to control your words. We used to do a drama. Taylor, you're probably in it. Where one girl would say things to people and her words would kill them. They just follow. I thought that was a great illustration until I realized I had words that were out of order. I spoke stuff yesterday. I'm sorry I spoke. Will I speak it again tomorrow? Probably. I'm still sorry. I thought so. I thought it was funny. Becky, I thought it was funny too. Those of you listening by podcast, I wish you were here because we were. Are we having fun today? Are we learning anything today? Are you bored? Okay. Husband and wife planned all their life to go to Israel all their life, saved their money. They were going to buy diamonds, jewelry, artifacts. On the way to Israel, the airport of Tel Aviv, their plane got hijacked by terrorists. Terrorists took the plane, all the belongings left them on tarmac. What did you call it, Chris? Tarmac? Tarmac. Husband looks at his wife with much chagrin. We're broke. We're busted. We've lost everything. We have nothing. She said, we're not broke. He said, what do you mean? She held out her hand. In her hand was a pearl necklace, a diamond brooch, and two diamond rings. He goes, where did you hide that? She said, in my mouth. He said, my God, if your mother would have been here, we could have saved the luggage. Thank you for that. Proverbs 18 and 21. Always take note how things are posted in the Bible. There's a reason for it. Death 
and life. See, we have a tendency to always see the glass half empty. Think about that for a minute. We've got to be careful that our words don't focus on the negative. The greatest sentence ever written, John 3:16, a great powerful truth. But John 3:17 says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And this is the condemnation that men prefer darkness to light because their deeds were evil. You don't have to teach a child how to pout. You don't have to teach a child to hit another kid over the head with a Tonka truck. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to manifest and throw a fit. Head spindling. It's our nature. We are born of a sinful nature. And we're cursed from the time of our birth. The minute we're born, we begin to die. But the redemptive power of God allows us to have a new start and start all over again. Does that help anybody in the building today? Control your words. Judge your words before they come out. Think about what you're saying before you say it. And next week, I'm going to tell you to be very careful who you blow off on, who you bleed on. Is that okay? I'm winding down. May I finish this? Thanks. This is not for Becky's benefit, but when I was 18 and we were smoking pot, Becky was 13. And she went to go smoke pot with us, and we wouldn't let her. And she always got offended. And she's resented that ever since and still holds that against me, I feel, sometimes. When you give your heart to God, it becomes necessary for you to get new friends. It blew my mind, girls, when, when God saved me that Sunday night, that Monday, I called two, two guys that we did a lot of stuff together. I've told you we were supposed to do a drug deal. We carried weapons they were arrested that Friday. I gave my heart to God on Sunday. They went to prison, all kinds of thousands of dollars spent. But I called them, Julie, and I said, hey, I'm not putting you down, but I'm telling you, I've lost everything because of drugs. I'm a drug addict. I can't come around anymore. I'm not blaming you, but I can't come around anymore. Because all we do when we come around is get high. And you know, Jackie, what was so crazy that I learned when I stopped doing drugs and I been to re- and began to reevaluate my friends, I had nothing in common with them. Nothing. We didn't talk. We just sat there and got stoned. Watch the TV with the stereo on. Hello, with a color bar, with incense. Come on, I know some of you have been there, done that. Yeah, we'd watch TV and listen to music, and it was like somehow the I think it's Alice in Wonderland. You can play the Pink Floyd album at the same time without the, it, it correlates. It's, it's scary how many things correlate. It really is scary, but that's, that's all we did. We sat around. And so I had to learn that I needed new friends. I needed friends that would encourage me, that would bless me, that would strengthen me, friends that would teach me good stuff. And it's important to get new friends. And take the next thing that I'm going to say just with a grain of salt. You need to learn how to ignore your family for the most part. Because if you're not careful, family will always judge you for your actions of yesterday. God judges you for your purposes of tomorrow. A lot of times your family may try to pull the plug or, or, or say, well, this or that, whatever. And Pastor Ron and I have met several parents in the past several years that as we've seen God greatly restore and heal and bless their children, the majority of them, their mindset is, I hope this works. They've, 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 lost, they've lost hope, they've lost trust, they've lost confidence. And that, that's all well and good. You have nothing to prove to them. You have everything to prove to Jesus. When you say, Jesus, your blood, your shed blood is important enough for me to turn my right life around, to follow you, to do everything I can for your glory, you're worth it. And when you bring up your past, you're saying to God, God, not even the blood of your son is powerful enough to help me forget my mistakes and failures. But you're judging God and saying God can't do it. Let me tell you something. If he can hold the world by the palm of his hand, he can speak life into existence, and he can do all that he's done. 
He can certainly turn things around in your life if you will let him. I started earlier. Every Timothy needs a Paul. Every Paul needs a Silas. I won't, I won't illustrate the point that I was going to go into. I will, I will say this, simply my opinion. There's a couple of tragedies the past several years involved in Christian television. And I believe with all my heart, if those leaders would have had a pastor that they could have gone to, and they could have counseled, they got instruction, I believe those ministries could have been spared. I believe it's important that all of us have someone in our life. Listen, we need someone in our life that we have more confidence in than we have in ourselves. We need someone in our life that does not have a hidden agenda. We need someone in our life that when we go to them, they're going to tell it like it is. They're not going to pull any punches, and we're going to appreciate it, and we're going to grow from that relationship. Every, every, Tim, every, every one of us need a pastor. I need a pastor. Pastor, We have pastors. We have, we have eldership. We purposely have surrounded ourselves because we are not alone. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord can lift up a standard because we have submitted to authority. There's something about the power of authority. Okay, I'm almost done. Yeah, let me go ahead and share that. Two points and I'm done. In marriage, be careful that you don't burn your spouse to your mom. I don't know to what detail Pastor Rhonda told her parents how bad things were in California. They never tried to kill me or anything. But I've been pastoring long enough to learn that sooner or later, your spouse is going to drop the ball. Yeah, it really is. Probably just a few days after the honeymoon. And you're going to realize that he ain't as perfect as you thought he was. Oh, he told you he'd swim the deepest ocean, sharks, barracudas, bonitas. Moray eels, climb the highest mountain. Everest was nothing to him to gain your love. Walk across, and I've been there, the Sahara Desert. Walk across the Sahara Desert on his hands and knees just to give you a cup of water. But two weeks in the marriage, all he wants is three things. Food, the remote, and the other thing. And usually by now in the relationship, you got a headache. And there's going to be no other thing. So food and the remote. You can track him by how he drops his clothes when he enters the house. His nasty boots on the front porch, his socks make it to the hallway, the pants are in the, in the bedroom, and everything else is in the bathroom. And his bathroom looks like a man cave, a bear that hasn't shaved in weeks. Hello. And you get so mad. And you try to leave little notes. You try to post things that he would read and grasp and comprehend, and he doesn't. Because he has not read the books you've read. He has not matured like you've matured. He's not grown like you've grown. So immediately you want to throw him under the bus. And not a little bus, a big bus. And you go to mom, and you tell mom how bad. I'll tell you, this won't help you now, but maybe later in life. And what happens when we unload on our parents, our parents get so mad, they want to kill him. They, 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 the dad, dad's going to go over, go over right then and show him some weapons he hasn't seen before. And then all of a sudden, it builds an unrest between families. And, you know, well, Pastor Hank, where are you going with this? I'm going, if Angel is ready, to Titus, the second chapter and the fourth verse. Paul gives instruction. The older women of God are to instruct the younger women of God. God said in Genesis 
For this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. You notice that it doesn't say the wife shall leave her mother and father. Because that little bride needs her mom to learn how to make a house, to learn how to cook a meal, to learn how to give birth. Knew the wedding couple was setting down to their first meal, Steve. Just got married, got back to the honeymoon. She'd been in the kitchen all day. Get ready. Had all set up, everything in its place. She brought a plate of food. She said, now before you eat this, there's just one thing you need to know. Mom only taught me how to cook two things. Meatloaf and apple pie. So she set the plate down in front of him. He looked at the plate. He looked at her and said, which one is this? So it's important for moms to be in our life to help us with babies, cooking and food. When you get mad, so mad you can't stand it, God has raised up in the church women of God that can tell you how to minister to your husband effectively. And I conclude with this. I can't tell you who it is because he gets very mad when I tell this story. But I have a spiritual son pastoring in the nation. He is... Right now, doors are open in a miraculous way. He's probably in his heyday of ministry. Several years ago, he pastored a very small church. And in that church, there was a wife that was constantly telling him that her husband was beating her up. So one particular day, she came to the church office, and she had a black eye, and he had, he had, he had whacked her. So the pastor got mad, got in his car, and drove to this man's house. We went to the front door. The screen door was there. It was locked. And the man knew why the pastor was there. Donnie, he was there to confront him. And the man proceeded to laugh at the pastor and make fun. So my pastor friend just punched him right through the screen door. Just pumped, broke his nose. No, no, no. Broke his jaw. Broke his jaw right there. Went to the hospital. Pastor went back to the office. Felt bad about it. Prayed a little. God said, you need to make it right. So he went to the hospital. And he went in the room, and that guy was in traction. His jaw had pins in it. His head was held in place with a halo. And as the guy saw the pastor come in, he thought the pastor come in to just finish the job. And so he starts going, uh, 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 uh. Long story short, later, that husband and wife sued the church for the pastor breaking his jaw. I don't know why I told you that. It really had absolutely nothing to do with the message, but I thought that was. Okay, let's conclude. The Living Bible, Pastor Rhonda, Ephesians 2 and 10. You ready? Say, this is just for me. This is where I'm headed. This is the purpose of this message. Okay, thank you for the three that said that. I appreciate that so much. And thank you for those blondes that got it later. It is God himself who has made us what we are and has given us new lives through Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. Wow. There it is right there. That's probably King James. It probably doesn't say anything like that at all. But this was, you wanted this translation, so you got it. That God foreordained us before we were in our mother's womb to so impact us with gifts and ministry helps that our life was to be a light, salt of the earth, city set on a hill, to make a difference in someone else's life, that we should impact this world. I was sharing earlier today, there are people in my life that they're not where they need to be and they're not doing what they should be doing. But they love me because I refuse to judge them. Because sin is sin, and my sin was just as great as anybody else's sin. You can't judge yourself because their sin was more or less. But I have learned these friends that I love and hold dear to my heart may not be living the way that I feel like they should be living, 
but when the bottom falls out of their boat, they don't call their gender challenge friend. They don't call their drug addict friend. They don't call the buddy they drink beer with or or smoke pot with. They call a man and woman of God that knows how to pray, that has stability, that has the courage to tell them, hang on, everything's going to be okay. God's in control. You're going to make it through this. This storm's going to pass. That that was then. This is now. You're going to turn it around, and you're going to make a difference in someone's life. Father, thank you for the 45 minutes that we have spent together. Thank you for these seeds of truth. Lord, I pray that they may impact and help touch and bless, that we would realize that where we are now, we won't be there tomorrow. Every day we're pressing towards that mark, that place that you have for us, that we can get to where our heart is for the widow, our heart is for the orphan, our heart is for those in jail, our heart are for those in a bondage of drugs and alcohol and pornography, that some way, somehow, that we could get plugged in, that we could be planted to make a difference in someone else's life, that we could be that turnaround for them, that we could be that, that, that salty taste, that they would see our, your love for us and your favor upon us, and even in storms, how we choose not to curse you and believe in you, and we ride the storm out. Let them see that credibility. Let them see that integrity. Let them see our life. And let us realize it's not just the preacher whose life is to shine, but it is our lives that are to shine. Let us not react, but let us respond. Let us guard our words. Let us surround ourselves with men and women of God. Let us fall in love with your word. Let us, let us memorize it. Let's see what we can do to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. And they all said, amen. Thank you for allowing